Good day, everyone. Welcome back to our podcast where we've been discussing for the last several weeks the book of Philippians. And today we have finally made it to the fifth part of Philippians, which is chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. I've entitled this, um, Beware of the Dogs, uh, just as Paul uses this in Philippians 3, 2. He says, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers. Uh, this is kind of playing off of that, and so we're going to unpack that and apply this to our lives and apply this to um, how we are able to uh, prevent ourselves from from being like these Judaizers. So let's open our Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 21, and it reads, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write these same things to you again and again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for the dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of the resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I have already attained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For, as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ. Their destruction is their destiny, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, 
will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So what is our big idea for for uh, for Philippians chapter 3? Well, the big idea is this. When, when we are focused on the futile pursuit of righteousness through human effort, through legalism, we miss out on the surpassing worth of right living through faith in Christ. One more time. When we're focused on the futile pursuit of righteousness through our own efforts— and through legalism, we miss out on the surpassing worth of right living through faith in Jesus Christ. And so as we unpack these 21 verses in Philippians chapter 3, Paul gives us five tokens of wisdom to the believers at Philippi for, for the day that he wrote this, and it's applicable for us today as well. And so the, the first token of wisdom that he gives us is the beware of the dogs, this resist the enemy, beware of the evildoers. And so this metaphor is full of bite, no pun intended, since dogs were the zoological low-life scavengers that were generally detested by the Greco-Roman society and considered unclean by Jews who sometimes used the word dog to designate to the Gentiles. And so what Paul does here is he reverses the table, and he is now referring to the Judaizers as the dogs. And so we have these so-called Christians, um, even in life today, uh, who think that you have to be a certain color, you have to be a certain, uh, from a certain uh, socioeconomic status, uh, you have to be a certain nationality. Or you even have to be a certain gender to be worthy of salvation. And that is what Paul is trying to communicate here to, to the people, and, and we'll see this later on, is, hey, this is, this is false teaching. We don't need to be listening to that. So beware of these people who are trying to convince you um, otherwise. Th- these may have been people that were, that were or had been living um, amongst the people in, in Philippi, but Paul is warning them, hey, you know, this, this way of thinking is not that of Christ. Um, you don't have to be a certain color, um, American or white or male or um, the, of an elite class in order to be worthy of salvation. Jesus died once and for all, not just for one, but for all. And so the first token of wisdom that Paul gives us is this here, beware of the dogs. The second token of wisdom, which is a good one that really should keep us all in check um, all the time as believers, is is watch your pride. And so um, when we when we are so focused on ourselves and and who we are and why we um, have the ability to do some of the things that we do, our, our pride will will just eat us up and t- make the best of us. Once there was a minister, um, a young boy, and a computer expert who were all passengers on a small plane, and the pilot came back to the cabin and said that the plane was going down, but there were only three parachutes and four people. And the pilot added, I should have one of the parachutes because I have a wife and three small children. So he took the parachute and he jumped. The computer whiz said, I should have one of the parachutes because I'm the smartest man in the world and everyone needs me. So he took one and jumped. The minister turned to the young boy and said with a smile on his face, 
you are young and I have lived a rich life. So you take the remaining parachute and I'll go down with the plane. The boy looked at the minister and said, Relax, Reverend. The smartest man in the world just picked up my my knapsack and jumped out of the plane. And so we we see these different uh, examples in the story of people that that had pride and thought that they were the best, the elite, um, and and one can, it came back to bite him. But here here are some things that we need to uh, understand um, that that's wrong for us when we have pride in our ritual. That's wrong. the 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 way we when we say the way we do things is the right way. No one else does them the right way. This is the way we do them, and they're right. That's pride in ritual. And, and many times we also have pride in our relationships, such as um, my relationship with God is superior um, than yours because I can quote 765 verses of Scripture. We also have pride in, in our respectability. Look at my position in this church and how many committees and everything that I saw. I'm a deacon. I'm an elder. I'm the pastor. Um, look at my position. You should respect me. Um, that, that, that is pride that we need to keep, on, uh, keep in control. Um, pride in relationships. Um, you know, uh, you know. Uh, oh, how about this one? Pride in race. Mm. I am white, just like Jesus. <laughs> no, <laughs> Jesus wasn't right. Je- Jesus was Middle Eastern, and um, but but many times um, the the race plays a a role in our pride. Pride in religion. Um, God loves me more because I am a Christian. Um, that that's not true. God loves everyone the same, and He desires everyone to become followers of His Son Jesus Christ. But the pride in religion says He doesn't care for the Muslims, He doesn't care for the Hindus, He doesn't care for Mormons. He only cares about the ones who are Christians. Um, now that that is that is such a prideful statement that needs to be eliminated. Um, how about pride in reputation? My record is flawless. I've never gotten a speeding ticket. I've never been arrested. I've never done drugs. I've never done, you fill in the blank. Uh, and then you, you follow that up by saying, well, most people in our, um, in our community are known for drug abuse, are known for whatever, but my reputation is flawless. Uh, that, that's a very prideful statement as well. Um, pride in righteousness. Look how often I'm at the church and, and how many committees I'm on and, and so on and so forth. Um, I'm, I'm the pastor of the church. Um, you know, I, I have a rightful standing before God. Um, the, that pride um, will cause you to fall in a heartbeat. Um, isn't it funny, though, that pride is the only disease known to man that makes everyone sick except for the one who has it? So let, let's watch our pride, just as Paul says in these verses 4 through 6. He, he says, though, I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else that thinks that they have more reasons uh, to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And he lists all of these different reasons that he has all of this uh, confidence. Um, and so the, the, the second tidbit of wisdom that Paul gives us is to watch your pride. And then then we get to verses 7 through 11, and, and the third um, token of wisdom that he gives us is be willing to change your values, uh, values that are not right, that are not biblical. Um, the, these, these values 
they're not your primary belief system. The, the, the primary belief system that says Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except for that's foundational. That That is biblical truth, and we are not going to change our values that align with bi- biblical truth. But what I'm saying and what Paul is saying here is be willing to change your values that don't align with what the Bible teaches. Just because it's something that has been the norm for decades or centuries does not make it right. I mean, in the 50s and 60s, many people did not believe that the black man was valuable to the point of attaining salvation. But look at look at now. We we would be we we know that we would be wrong for making such a statement. Uh, because salvation is for everyone. And so Paul lists um, his, his seven marks of, of excellence, his, his seven values of what he had as a Jewish man. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He was part of the people of Israel. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, a zealous Pharisee, a persecutor of the church, and he was blameless under the law. He was righteous because of all of these things. But he realized with his encounter of Christ on the road to Damascus that those values were not biblical values. Those were not values of Christ. So what happened? He changed. And so he began to have this desire to what he says, to know Christ, to know him. And and that's literally the word know is literally translated to understand him. And so we can say, you know, Paul wanted to understand Christ in the power of his res- resurrection. He wanted to understand Christ in the fellowship of his suffering. He wanted to understand Christ in the confirmation of his death. And, and not necessarily just understand these things, but to experience them. To know that you are one with Christ and you're doing everything within your power to align and, and advance the gospel, and you're doing it in such a way that if it means death on a cross, just like Christ, then so be it. And so we have to be willing to change our values because the things here on earth do not matter. It's, it's the things of God, these biblical principles that do matter. Number four, your perfection is a process. And we, we, he writes about this in, in verses 12 through 16. And he starts off in verse 12 talking about, and, and he readily admits that his perfection is a process. He says in verse 12, not that I have already attained all of this or have already arrived at my goal. And then, so then he talks about his attempt. So he, he admits he's not there yet, that it's a process, but here's my attempt. I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And so then he has this aspiration. This is this is what I'm going to do. This is what I aspire to be. Verse 13, he says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to yet have taken hold of it. But one thing I do know, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And so he he has this aspiration, he has this appeal to know Christ. Um, the year 1983 marked the 500th anniversary of the great reformer Martin Luther, whose whose stature increases with time because of what he did in posting the 95 Theses on the door of the church. Um, on his deathbed, or, or sitting next to his deathbed, um, 
scribbled in, in German and Latin was this declaration. We are beggars. That is true. And so this, this statement may have inspired um, the, the saying evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where he can find a piece of bread. Um, not, not a sweet roll, not, not a cup of coffee, but a bite of the staff of life, bread. The church, the church is a fellowship of beggars receiving and offering love, support, hope. Committed Christians, we acknowledge our dependence upon God and our interdependence on one another. Let me say that one more time. As a Christian, we have a dependence on God and we have an interdependence on one another. We are always in the bread line. If not receiving bread, we are giving bread. And so our perfection is a process. You know, sometimes we will have ups, sometimes we will have downs. But as we strive, as we press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus has took hold of, may we never lose sight of that. And so the fifth uh, token of wisdom that Paul gives us in these verses comes from 17 through 21. Um, and he says, beware of the false teachers. Now, this is just kind of a an echoing of what he said early on in the chapter. But um, but when we look at um, the, the believer's enemies, what are those? Those are the, the false teachers, the people who um, are trying to lead people astray. Um, and when we look at their character, their character is just one that is not resemblant of that of Jesus Christ. And then Paul talks about their faith. He says their destiny is their destruction. Many times the false teachers, especially today, are so focused on money and financial gain, sowing a seed of faith so that, you know, you will be blessed and you will be healed and you will live your best life now. Um, that That is, that's the, the character that they have. And so when you're so focused on money and physical materialistic things, that destiny is going to be your destruction. But when you're focused on the Lord and the goodness and everything that he gives you, then we are focused on right living righteousness. So their their fate is their destiny, is their destruction, their motives. And, and it, like I said, their mind is on earthly materialistic things. But here, when he when he's warning us of the false teachers, and he does this in several other epistles as well, he, he warns us of false teachers, warns his readers of false teachers, but he also follows up here in verses 20 and 21 um, of the expectation of the believer, the Christian's expectation. Okay, you're a follower of Christ, here's your expectation. Number one, our, our present position is that our citizenship is in heaven. It's not here on earth. So it doesn't matter a hill of beans who wins the presidential election. We we want the most godly person in office to help us. But at the end of the day, our citizenship is in heaven. It is not in the United States of America. Um, and so we have to remember that. And we don't we don't let ourselves get so worked up because of who is in office, but we continuously pray for that person who is in office so that the will of God is accomplished on earth as it is in heaven. But at the end of the day, our citizenship is in heaven. Um, the other expectation is uh, for the believer is, is that we are eagerly awaiting a Savior um, and, and that Savior is Jesus Christ the Lord. This, this isn't 
a continuing expectation for us. We believe that what the Bible says, that Jesus will return, and we are waiting for him. And what is our glorious transformation as as an expectation of the believer? That what he says in verse 21, our lowly bodies um, will be transformed like his glorious body. And so that that is that is our expectation as believers. Those three things right there. Our citizenship is in heaven. We're waiting for Jesus. And when he comes, our bodies will be transformed to be like his. And so that that is the truth. The false teachers will have you focused on everything that is here, earthly, materialistic, uh, so on and so forth. But our expectations is Jesus. Someone asked the late uh, theologian W.R. Walker, are you saved? And he said, I have been saved, I am being saved, and I hope to be saved. What do you mean? <laughs> the person asked, and, and so he, he explained, when I accepted Jesus as my Savior, my sins were forgiven, and I was saved. Since becoming a Christian, however, I have done wrong from time to time. I claim the promise of 1 John 1, 9, though, and and he cleanses me from my present sins. And yet, my salvation won't be complete until the day when I hear my Lord say to me, Well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into the joys of the Lord. And so as I draw this to an end today, um, what I want to ask you is, what, what is the promise of 1 John 1.9? The promise of 1 John 1.9 is that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so as we look at our believers' expectations, we are to focus on, our citizenship in heaven, we are to have this continuing expectation of eagerly awaiting a Savior who is the Lord Jesus Christ, and one day we will be transformed to be like Him. (music) 